Hebrews chapter number 12. The Bible tells us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked with, of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if, he be, if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That means you're a false child. You're not a real child of God. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to you to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest, they, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The Bible talks there in several of those verses, specifically three through down, down through about verse number 11, about the fact that God has to get our attention every once in a while. But the reason that God has to get our attention every once in a while is because we mess up. You say, what do, we, what do you mean we mess up? Well, there's this thing called sin. But there's also, the Bible tells us in verse number 1 and 2, there's also a thing called weights. Today, today I'd like to look not at the aspect of the chastening, but I'd like to look at the expectation that God has for you. There's been a time in your life where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can claim that uh, phrase that I am a Christian. Then the truth is, this is what God expects from us. Ready, set, go. Start it up. Get moving. Don't stop. Keep going. And it's that thought that we would like to consider this morning. If you'd bow your head with me, let's pray and ask God's blessing. God's blessing upon his word. Father, I am so grateful for your goodness to us. As we've just sing, sung, I'm so grateful that we can say, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful enough that Christ came from heaven, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, gave himself for us that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But that's not the end of the story, Lord. From that point where we, he gave his life for us, and if we make that decision to accept Christ as our personal Savior... Then we find in Matthew 28, go ye therefore. Lord, you tell us that we are to be active about serving you with our life. And it's that thought that we want to spend a few minutes on this morning. Lord, I ask that you would give grace, 
that you'd help folks overlook my, my problems, my difficulties, Lord, and that they would see the Word of God this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last Sunday we had a wonderful service. I'm so glad for all of you that were here. But while we were having service here, there was a brand new church that had their first service out in California. Um, I guess we'll call it a church. I mean, they said they had a worship service, all right. But it was a church, and hopefully you can read some of those words to fit it on there. I know some of them are small. Congregants gathered to worship abortion at the first mass of a new church exalting women's autonomy. That, this article, I think I came off the news on Tuesday, and I don't even know what to say, all right? But can I tell you this right here? Here's the thought processes, and this is where we're going to go this morning. This is a quote from the lady who, she was upset last year with everything, that, with the abortion that was passed from the Supreme Court. And this, by the way, this is not a secret. This was on the front page of, I think when I turned my computer, I was on the front page of Microsoft, you know what I mean? So it's not something that where it was hard to find. But if you read that quote there, the, the lady, uh, Disforges is her last name. She said, I think I, I used to be so anti-everything Catholic and everything church. I had a lot of complicated feelings for a, for a while without it. And now I'm very much in the place where I can kind of take what I need from it and leave the rest behind. Can I tell you all that that's the problem with American, I'm not even going to say Christianity, with American religion today, is that we come to God's word And we say, I want to take what I can from it, and I want to leave the rest. Can I tell you this? You can't do that with your job. You don't show up at work and say, hey, you know what, boss, I just don't feel like it. Would you keep on paying me? But, uh, you know, and pay me for a full day. And if you want to give me a couple hours of overtime, I'll take that too. All right. That'd be really nice. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in. I'm going to have a late breakfast today. I sleep in a little bit. I'm going to show up for lunch. And then when I leave for lunch, I'm done for the day. All right. Um, most of us, uh, our, jo- our boss wouldn't say, oh, man, do it. Why don't you do that tomorrow too? All right. That's not the way that it works. It's not the way that, you're, if your kids play sports, your coach, their, their coach expects them to be there all the time. I mean, they want us to skip church and they want them to skip days of school so they can pray. They want them to skip everything because that sport is so, is so important. Well, if we place such an emphasis on all of these other areas of our life, and again, I'm not saying they're bad areas that we should, hey, you ought to go to work, okay? The Bible says that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I mean, God gave most of us wholesome bodies, so that we can work. But we have to be invested in that, at least at the hours that we're involved there. But yet we come to religion, we come to Christianity, we come to the worship of our God with this idea that I'm only in it for what I can get out of it. And the things that I don't like, I'm going to leave behind. So today I'd like to talk about that thought That just as if you were to show up at work, your boss expects you to go. If you're an entrepreneur and you've got your own, you've got to go or there's not going to be any money coming in. If you're going to enjoy fully this idea of Christianity, of serving God, you've got to get going. You've got to invest yourself in it. Well, let's start out with very simply the fact that the stadium is full. You take your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter number 12 where we are and... It says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The word compass there means it's a circle around you, okay? It's the idea of you're in a stadium. And when if you're in a stadium, you know, there's people all around. They're watching what's going on. 
Some of you may have kids that play sports, and so you've gone and you sat on the bleachers, you know, and sometimes you have to take your own chair or whatever, and maybe you get stuck out in the middle of center field or something, but you're cheering for that one that you love, that, that child that you know. The Bible here, when it says we're compassed about by such a great a cloud of witnesses, we go back to chapter number 11, which the Bible calls the Hall of Faith. And there in the Hall of Faith, it talks about all kinds of names in chapter number 11. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in verse number one. And then it jumps down in verse three. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed, framed by the word of God. Then it jumps down to instances of faith. Verse number four, Abel. Verse number five, Enoch. Verse number seven, Noah. And we go through all these people. These are folks who have lived the Christian life. They prove that we can do it, that we can serve God. And if I were to ask you this morning, I'd say, hey, could you point out anybody who has served God faithfully with their life? And maybe they're up in years, or maybe they, they have gone to meet Christ face to face through the process that we call death. Have you? And most of us could raise our hands and say, yes, I know some of those people. And that's what he's talking about here. He says that we are surrounded by them, okay? They've, got, they've done it. It is a task that can be accomplished. Um, do you get nervous when you have to do something that you've never done before? Or do you, some of us love those kinds of things, you know, because it's an adventure. We don't know what we're getting into, okay? It's like pull off the jacket and let's go. Some of us, no, I don't want to do that at all, all right? There are some things that I'm willing to jump right into. There are other things that I'm not willing to jump right into, okay? Because I get some things I enjoy, okay? I had uh, somebody, or I had a, had a chicken coop. You know that I keep chickens, all right? By the way, that's this scratch right here on my head, wherever it is, a chicken coop attacked me the other day, okay? All right? And I mean, I just, I stood up and it was right there and it just smacked me in the top of the head, all right? And I had a hat on with that too. Just think about it. It would have been really fun if I wouldn't have had a hat on when it did but, I mean, anything like that, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to try it. You know, I'll just, whatever it is, you know, hatching baby chicks, yeah, let's try it, okay? And, uh, you know, building a coop, uh, you know, cleaning out all the chickens, I'll do any of it. But then some of you would say, I don't want anything to do with that, but it comes to cars, you'd be glad to. Christian, and I went to bed it's Friday night. And Aiden's car, he had pulled, he had been doing some work in the backyard and he had gotten some rocks and stuff like that. And so he had pulled up right beside our bedroom uh, to unload his car in the backyard. And we had just gone to bed. I mean, been in bed about 10 seconds. And usually he goes to the gym like in the middle of the night. And so he's already got a loud vehicle, all right? I mean, if you go out when he leaves, you're going to hear a little bit of a vroom vroom, Okay. But he cranked that thing up, and it didn't go vroom, vroom. It went vroom, vroom, right outside. And I, we had been in bed for 10 seconds. I'm like, what in the world is he doing? And so I, did, I didn't get up. He went to the gym. I heard the vroom, vroom went away as he went down the road. He came back. Yesterday, we had the funeral and everything. As I come and got back from the funeral, and he pulls in, and there was a scraping sound, and there was a whole lot of vroom, vroom again. And so when I was doing something, I got back out, and his car was up on the ramps. And he said, Dad, I got a problem. I think my exhaust fell off. I said, ah, that makes sense as to why it's got a little more vroom vroom than it normally does. And so he got it up on the ramps, and sure enough, he looked under, and the, there was a clamp holding the exhaust because it's got a dual exhaust and everything on it. And one of, I mean, it had just fallen off, all right? And it was just hanging there. In fact, he, he underneath the car where the pipe was, there was a big pile of gravel that he had, because he had been digging through the gravel as he came up our driveway, all right? And 
And so uh, we, that's the kind of thing where my brain says, um, I'm not sure I want to jump into this because I am not, I, I have too many bad stories to tell you of mechanics. I mean, arms in here and not reeling that I was supposed to disconnect something and fire f- shooting by your forehead, you know. I just, I, I don't like cars that much, all right? Uh, I'm just, I'm not any good at them. Well, the Bible says here that it's been done before. Living a Christian life that's successful for God, it's been done before. By the way, let me stop right here and tell you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can't run the Christian life. You can go through the actions, but I, I will tell you, you'll be, you will fail. Because you can only live a Christian life if Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit is living in your life to give you the power and to give you the ability to do that. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Second thing it tells us in Romans chapter 6, 23, is that the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the second thing we need to know is that not only are we sinners, there's a penalty for sin, but God has paid the price for that sin. So number three, he's taken it. And the the fourth thing, all we need to know is that if we will accept him as our personal Savior, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But unless that has actually happened in your life, please don't mistakenly call yourself a Christian. That would kind of like me calling myself a mechanic, all right? I can say it all day long. I can even put greasy clothes on, all right? I am not a mechanic. It's not who I am. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're not a Christian. And so most of what we're going to talk about this morning is for Christians. But again, we will have an invitation at the end. I would love to invite you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would love to invite you and we'll have someone take the Bible and show you this morning how you can know for certain that you are a Christian. And then all these things that we're going to talk about for the next few minutes will apply to you. Now, let's go back to, the, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, And the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we've got the stadium is full. The Bible tells us a couple things about this stadium. It says in verse number, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it brings forth this idea that who's watching us, okay? People here on earth are, likewise you wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation. That word conversation is an old English word that means by the lifestyle of the wife. And so if you've got a spouse that doesn't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, you are to live according to the principles of God's Word because you can have an effect on them. If you've got children that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, you've got a co-worker, you've got someone else. The Bible says that we, we want to share the gospel with them, but we don't want to nag them. And so sometimes we just have to live the gospel out in front of them and, put, and, and share the actual Word of God when we can. The Bible also says, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 2, Paul writing to the, the believers there in Corinth, he says, Ye, you are our epistle, our letter, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. He said, I can't be there to preach to everybody, so I've shared the gospel with you. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. You live according to God's principles. You're the one that everybody sees. Can I say this to you? You are the epistle, word of God written in your hearts, known and read of all men and women, boys and girls, that you see over the course of a, of a week as you're at work, as you're, as you're in your community, as you're grocery shopping, as you're doing whatever it is. You are the epistle. My question is, 
what, are you, what does the letter contain? Does it tell about Jesus Christ? Does it tell about God? Or does it tell about everything that is just normal in this world? And so we've got the stadium full. And then not only is it people here on this earth that are looking at us, but the Bible says in Revelation 6.10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? This is a picture in heaven during the tribulation period where some of the Christians who have been martyred, killed for their faith, they're up in heaven. They're watching what's going down on earth. And they're saying, and I don't think that they have access to everything on earth, but God obviously gives them a picture every once in a while. People have gone on to see good things. Uh, the Bible says that angels rejoice when, uh, when people are saved. I think that every once in a while, God gives a glimpse of some of these who have gone on before us and lets them see some of the big points in our life. I, I can't be absolutely dogmatic about that, but the, the tenor of Scripture sure seems to say that, that every once in a while, God will peel back the pages or peel back the page of, of heaven and allow people to look and have access to what's going down here, here on earth. Somebody maybe had prayed for you for something in your life for a long time, and they passed away and God answered that request in your life. And so I don't think God's going to hold that from them. He's going to peel that back and say, hey, here's what's going on with your family member, your loved one, your friend. And this is, this is what has gone in their life so that they can rejoice while they are there in heaven. The Bible tells us in verse number, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 9, that uh, for I think, I, I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last as it were appointed death, for we are made a spectacle. What's a spectacle? Well, that's something that's going on. You know, you're at, uh, over at, down at Walmart and it's uh, the uh, Black Friday. You know, spectacles happen all the time at Walmart on Black Friday, all right? I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes people just go just for the spectacle. You're just like, man, I wonder who's getting slugged over that kid's toy this time, all right? You know, I mean, you have to pile on the front and you're just like, man, is the worker going to leave alive today or not? You know, they're going to they're gonna pull out that, that knife and start cutting the plastic off. And they, they do, everybody swarms them and the worker's like, ah, get me out of here, all right? And uh, they've had to change something because it's spectacles, they make it, it's something major going on. And Paul here says, I think that God has set us forth to be spectacles, okay, uh, unto the world and to the angels and to men. So we know that angels, we know other people. And I think the men that he's talking about here are people who have gone on before. God says, I, I, I peel them back. And so this is, this is this cloud of witnesses that looks at our life. Can I ask you simply to consider this this morning? Who watches you? Not in a weird, creepy, stalker sense. Maybe I should ask it this way. Who sees you? Who sees whether when you show up at church on Sunday and proclaim to be a Christian, but they see you on Tuesday and they see you on Friday? What are they seeing? They're the cloud of witnesses. Second thing I want you to know, see from this passage, and by the way, don't, don't let me scare you, all right? I know that it's 1130. I've got six points. But we're only going to get through three of them this morning, okay? So don't, don't worry, all right? Take, take a deep breath. We're, we're okay. Last week, I was, uh, uh, somebody said, you know, you were on point two by uh, whatever time it was. They said, and then uh, you spent a lot of time on point three and four. I said, well, I got six this morning, but, we'll, but we'll, we're only going to try to get through a few of them, all right? Which is the second thing, running this race called life. Jesus Christ. Not only are there spectators around, is the stadium full, but number two, the Bible says back in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, I'm sorry, verse number one, the middle of it, um, it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The phrase lay aside is 
the idea not of, hey, you know what? I've got to be real careful. Okay, I got a cell phone here and I don't want anything to happen to it. So I'm going to find a nice place. And so I'm going to set it here so that nothing happens to it. No, the word that is used for lay aside there in our passage is the idea that you're walking through the woods and a little fluffy kitty cat with a white stripe down its back happened to surprise you. And when that nice little fluffy kitty cat lifted up its back tail, it sprayed you. Okay, I don't know about you, but if that happens to me, okay, as I'm running... The clothes are gone, all right? I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh, let me find a hanger, please, all right? That's not what it's going to be. And that's the idea that we've got here in Scripture with this lay aside. It is the picture of we're taking something and we're hastily. We don't care where it goes. I've just got to get it away from me. And so Paul says to the folks, he says, lay aside the weights and the sin that are there. We're to cast off our weights and also the sins that easily beset us. Weights are the things that hinder us. They slow us down in living for Christ. They're the actions, they're the attitudes that damage our testimony for the Lord or our close walk with Him. Attitudes, you know, like pride or covetousness, greed, selfishness, bitterness, ingratitude. Just thinking that we are all that and that it's all about us. Sensuality, selfishness, all of those. Can't, we, we can say, well, someone might be sin, but the truth is a lot of those are just, are just weights. They may not be taken to the full extent where they become sin. They're just weights that hold us back. And then if you look there, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That idea of easily beset there means to skillfully surround or entangle. Those are the sins that we tend to cling to and have influence in our life. Back, in, back at home, I've got a barn uh, and I've got, I've got some baby chicks that are about four weeks old. And I've got one of those baby chicks that just does not want to stay in the box. And so they're in a box with a light and everything like that in, the, in a stall. And I keep the stall door closed. That way, if he gets out, he'd be stuck in there. Three times a day, I go in that thing. And that little, little black and white chick is sitting in front of the box, just on the ground, just staring at me like, what you going to do this time? And then I walk in and I've got a big net and I pick up that net. And as soon as I pick up that net, he starts going everywhere. Cheep, 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 cheep. He's like, oh no, he's going to kill me. I mean, he'll find anything that he can dive under. I mean, he'll, he'll go be zipping back. He'll run into the wall and smack, smack himself, fall down, come over this side. It happens three times a day. And then I'll grab that net and I'll try to, it, it, I'll work with him to get him. And finally, I'll just try to smack, slap it over. And then he tries to get away. And when he tries to get away, because the holes on that net are good size, wing will come out one hole, a head will come out another hole, the other wing go in, and then the feathers hook around it, and then two feet out other holes. And I'll just look at him and I'm like, you are such an idiot, dude. <laughs> and so then I pick him up and he starts screaming like death is upon him, all right? And so I pick him up and cheep, cheep, cheep. And then I spend the next five minutes trying to peel his little body out of all those holes in the net without ripping his legs off and ripping his arm, his, his wings off and everything like that. Why? Because that net has skillfully entangled him. It did the job that it was supposed to. It was there to, to catch him. 
so that I get them back in the box so they wouldn't get out and eaten by an opossum or coon or whatever would come into in the night and get him. Can I tell you this? In our lives, there are sins that we are just prone to. And we go back. Pastor Williams preached about that a couple weeks ago. Sins that we just go back to. You'd think that that chick, I mean, he's been doing this for about a week and a half. You'd think after all the trauma of every time I have to catch him again, that he'd just be like, no, I'm going to stay in the box because at least I've got food, it's warm, and I've got something to drink. I'm just going to stay here. But no, I'm sure I'll get home from church today, and we'll eat dinner, and I'll go out to check on the chickens, and he'll be out there again, and we'll go through the whole process of catching him. And that's what sin does to us. He grabs a hold of us. It entangles us. It reaches everything, and we won't let it get... We, we, will, we keep choosing to get stuck in that. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He says that's what this sin does. We've got to choose to give up the, the weights, the things that hold us back that maybe aren't sin, and the sin that does it. Can I give you just some real quick hints this morning about overcoming? The Bible says here, 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, and then we'll get to these in just a moment. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And again, with that idea of being entangled in sin, no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Ephesians 4.25, wherefore putting away lying, here's some things that we get entangled with. It says, put away lying, speak every man truth. Colossians 3.8, but now you also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. For fear 2.1, wherefore laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. You see, the Bible is full a verse where it says that you, you become entangled in these. You've got to set them aside. You've got to get them out of your life or you're never going to be able to be successful. And so keys to overcoming sinful habits. I don't have all these verses up, so I'm going to make you flip back and forth with me. So get your fingers ready to go, all right? Here we go. First of all, if I'm going to overcome sinful habits in my life, I've got to recognize that sin's there. If I don't, if I don't identify, oh, that's a problem in my life. That is sin in my life. I'm never going to deal with it. If I just act like, oh, it's not that big a deal, it's just my cell phone and it's just a little bit of pornography, it's not that big a deal. You know what? We, we, we talk about it one thing, but the truth is it's, it, it's attached to most of us. I mean, we don't even ask for it. It just jumps out. And I have to fight that sin. You have to fight that sin on a regular basis. Our young people, and I wish I would just, could just say young people, and our not-so-young people, Sin stares us in the face so much that we lose the idea that it's even wrong. Remember the quote we had from the lady that started the church that worship and abortion and everything like that? We take and pick and choose the pieces that we want? Listen, our society, American society, does not call sin, sin anymore. You know what they call it? Free choice. I can do whatever I want to. I'm an American. Hey, don't, don't infringe on my rights. The Bible tells us that the truth will make us free. And so those things, those sins that entangle me until I am willing to call them what they are, they are always going to entangle me. So first of all, we've got to recognize sin's presence. Psalm 139, verse number 23. If you want to write these down, I'm going to go through them quickly, all right, because we've got to get back to point number three so we can get done, all right? Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. And know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Can you imagine the, the uh, openness that we have to have with our God? Where we're able to say, God, search me and know my thoughts. 
um, I don't think I'd be willing to say that to any of you. Search me and know my thoughts. Why? Because I know my thoughts. I know that I'm sinful. I know that I can put a suit on and, I mean, at least look acceptable. But man, if you were to go into the deep, dark recesses of my mind, I struggle just like anyone does, maybe more than anyone does. I have to recognize that sin has a presence in my life. Second of all, if we're going to overcome this habit, is that we've got to develop a steadfast heart. It's got to be fixed on God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 57, verse number 7, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. I'm not going to quit, God. When things get difficult, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to give you the praise. Psalm 119, verse 5 and verse 6. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. He's saying, Lord, I just, I want to be stuck where all I do is keep your commandments, but I keep finding myself failing. And Lord, I'm trying as hard as I can to get over here where I'm just steadfast. I'm stuck. Lord, I don't want to change. But it just seems like every once in a while, I just, I just slip, I just slide. Lord, help me to develop a steadfast heart that when whatever that sin is, that I just push the button and it's gone. I get away from it. The Bible tells us flee also, also youthful lusts. Can I say this? Flee also middle-aged lusts. Flee also late-life lusts. Run from them because they will have victory over us. Third thing, spend time in Scripture meditation. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Both of those verses in Psalm 119. If I put the right thing in my mind, then it's going to help me not to have the wrong thing. D.L. Moody, great preacher, evangelist of years ago, had a thin glass much thinner than this that he would hold up. And he would say uh, to the crowd, he would say, how would I get the air out of this glass. He had a man say, well, just put a lid on it and attach a vacuum pump to it. He said, you get all the air out of it. He said, well, as thin as this glass is, if I did that, the glass would just crumble. People sat there and said, well, what are you going to do? Picked up the glass and he picked up a pitcher of water. He dumped the water, filled the glass to the top to where it was overflowing. He said, how much air is left in it? None. Because it was full of water. If you and I are going to be, get rid of sin in our life, we've got to fill it with God. Voids always attract something. If I leave open area in my life, something is getting in there and usually it's going to be sin. And so I've got to fill it with God, with his word, so that there's not any room left. Stories told of a man who accepted Christ as his personal savior and he had uh, been given to drunkenness in the past. And so uh, he went down past the open door of a bar. And man, it was all his buddies in there. And they looked like they were having a good time. And he just, he was trying to figure out a way that he could do this and, and be okay. And so finally, he said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. As he's contemplating, he's, he's trying to walk away, but he keeps looking back over. And as he did, he passed another store. And the store had a sign on it. It said, all you can drink Coke, 50 cents. So he walked in the door and he drank a Coke, gave it to him, filled it up again, drank it again, filled it up. He drank seven cups of Coke. 
Then he walked back out and went back the other direction, went right back by that bar. And you know what he said? He said, if I went in, I couldn't drink anything anyways because he was so full of Coke. I wouldn't recommend using that as your method of getting away from sin, all right? But again, that process of if we will fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit of God, it will help us to avoid sin. Fourth thing, supplication, prayer, or confession of your sin. Talk to God in prayer. 1 Peter 4, verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 puts it a little bit stronger. It says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly. That's the idea of I just march right up to it. I walk up to it. I don't have to question. I just say, hey, this is what I want. And our God is our Father. He says, I tell you, not arrogantly, but boldly, you come up to me and ask me for whatever you need, and I'll help you get through that. The fifth one of overcoming sinful habits, submit to God and stand against temptation. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But here's the problem. We don't know how long that resisting has to take place. I got to fight against them for a while. If it's a sports team, I know that, you know, take NBA basketball. I got to resist for 12 minutes at a time, 12 minute quarter. Then we get a little break and then another 12 minute quarter and then a halftime and then another 12 minute quarter and two more minutes and then another 12 minute quarter and we're done and I can quit. Football, 15 minute, four quarters, hockey, three periods. We know it's that much time. Problem is in my Christian life, I don't know how long I got I to gotta fight against it. How long do I have to resist the devil? And I resist, and sometimes I give up just before the end is in sight. Just a little bit early. But God says, no, submit to me, resist the devil, and the devil will eventually flee from you. Pick up point number six on this idea of overcoming sinful habits. The Bible tells us that we got to shun the wrong people. People influence us. We often say that that is young people that do that. Um, I'm an adult. I've been an adult for a few years now. In fact, I'm getting, I'm getting almost to the end of middle age. I mean, what, what do you call 48? Is 48, 48 still young, right? Or is it middle-aged? All right. it, just, it depends what your age is, all right? All those under 48, he's old, you know? All those a little bit older than 48, well, he's getting old, but he's not there because I'm definitely not old. I was, we were at the funeral yesterday. We were down in the kitchen talking. Uh, there were several of, of the workers in there. And one of the teenage girls that was working, she said, oh, that guy in there and, and the guy, he was, uh, it was uh, Isaac Johnson. He's the youth pastor down at Eastside Baptist Church. But she said, that's my old youth pastor. And I looked at her and I said, your old youth pastor? I said, he's like early 30s. If he's your old youth pastor, what am I? <laughs> she said, uh, and I said, and what about Pastor Barron here? I said, he was in fifth grade and sixth grade, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, he's, he's 20. What, what are you calling me? You know, and we look at that, but hey, as uh, we need to be around those who are going to be a help to us, we've got to shun the wrong, the wrong uh, group of people. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And then uh, number seven here, surrender to the Holy Spirit's control. 
Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We already talked about the idea of being filled with the Spirit when we when we fill ourselves so that we can uh, with with prayer and stuff. And then the the last one, and this is the one that a lot of times we give away, and that is stay in the battle and service of the Lord. Don't quit. I've met too many folks who say I've I've served God for this many years, I've done it enough. I get to quit. There's no retirement ceremony after 20 years when you're serving God. It doesn't work that way. All right, there's not, there's not this, oh, well, you know, you've reached 65, and so you can start to draw, draw spiritual welfare, all right, or spiritual social security. It doesn't work that way. You're in it with God. Back to our, our text in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, run with patience, the race. Well, why does it say run with patience? Because you just got to keep doing it day after day. That's what's tedious about the Christian life is that I don't get to take time off. When, when I take time off, I fall into sin. And so I got to ask the Lord to forgive me and jump back on and keep on going. I've, uh, Demas, or I'm sorry, Paul said to Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith in Second Peter chapter 4, verse number 7. And then he says right after that verse, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but all them who, who serve the Lord. And you know what Paul was saying? He said, I fought a good fight. You know why I can say that? Because I'm about to die. My life is over. I've got to serve God until it's done. Well, let's get back to that point number three so we can get, get done with it. All right, we just got a few. The stadium is full. There are people watching. The weights and sin have to be set aside. Number three, it's time to start the race. It's time to start the race. Back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, the last phrase. It says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Your life is described as a race. What does that literally mean? I'll tell you what it means. The word race is the Greek word, and you figure this one out for me, okay? It is the word agona. What does that sound like? Agony? Um, sometimes, I'm not a runner. How many of you are runners? Any of you enjoy I mean, destroying your body, doing horrible things to yourself, making, I mean, just cramping. I mean, you enjoy those 13 mile and 26, a few of you, all right? If, you, if there's anybody, I admire you. I don't want to be you, okay? All right, but I admire people who do that because they are looking at agony. They tell me that you hit about, about the eight, nine, 10 mile mark, you hit the first kind of wall that you go through, especially people who run, um, run half marathons, 13 miles. They say about 10 miles. And your body is not just gently persuading you, it's screaming at you, idiot, quit doing this to me. All right? I'd be right there alongside saying, yeah, your body's right, okay? Don't be doing that. No, but it's screaming at you. And you have to push through that agony. And then they say by the time you get to the last couple miles, if you fought through that and you've got enough um, water in your, in your body, that the last few miles actually are some of the easiest miles. I, I haven't ever done it. I'm not telling you from personal experience, okay? I just want you to know that. But it's this idea of a long race. And we get that word agony from it because that's exactly what the Christian life, it's long there's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. There's going to be times we have to push through. There's going to be other times where we're just going to be on cruise control because it seems so easy. That's why the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 12 that we've got to do it with patience because I've got to be patient in the good times. I've got to be patient in the bad times. I've got to understand that the good times aren't going to last forever. 
And so I need to fully embrace those good times. When we've got a good church service, when there's a good preacher up here, when we've got evangelists, there's some good times. Because I know that there's also going to be some very difficult times that I have to face. I've got a poem here by Dr. Or not a poem, but just a list from Dr. Rob Mattoon. It says, run with patience. Run with patience when you're down and discouraged. Run with patience when others quit and give up. Run with patience when you feel you're accomplishing nothing. Run with patience when your health begins to fade like a withering leaf. Run with patience when loved ones are snatched from your side in death. Run with patience when others crack, hacked, pull back, attack, distract, are slack, or give you a bunch of, fa- uh, of flack. Anyway, run with patience. Don't quit. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The idea here of something that is set before us is that there is a destiny. There is a purpose there. As a Christian, God has a purpose for your life. If there is a purpose, then there's a goal that you're pointing to. We won't get that till tonight looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But I've told you, I don't like running. But when my body could handle it a few years ago, I would run all day long. If there was a basketball or a baseball or a football or skate all day long, if there was a hockey puck, what was the difference between running just to run and running with one of those balls? It's this, the one I had a goal. There was a basket at one end. There was a soccer goal at one end. There was a, there was a ball in the middle in the outfield that I had to chase. There was a reason to do it. And the way that my brain works is as long as I've got that goal, I can keep running. I mean, after all, it's just one more lap around the soccer field. It may have been 17 total. By the way, I didn't enjoy soccer because it was all running too, okay? But the coaches said, you just need to run 13 times around here. You know, you're like, 13, this is ridiculous. And my brain the whole time is just like one, 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 one. You finally pass the goal. Yes, two, 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 and three, three. And you get, and you know what? I knew that there was an end result. Coach at the end of basketball practice, we're running 22 wind sprints, you know? 22, coach! Yep, 22, line it up. You know what we did after we ran the first one? Nobody said, oh, let's just run a whole bunch more. You know what we did? 21, 21, only 21 left. Line it up again. We ran another one. You know what everybody did after that one? 20, yes, only 20 left, all right? As a Christian, we start this race. There's got to be some inv- excitement, involvement in it because I've gained my purpose from who I am as, in, as a Christian. God has given me purpose. And because my God has given me purpose, then I know that I'm not doing the things that I am. I'm not living my life in vain. Living your life with no purpose is what brings tiredness, constant emotional tiredness. It brings mental health. Have you, have you ever in your life heard of as much mental health problem as we've had in the last three years when we've been left to ourselves because of all of the isolation of COVID and everything? Mental health. The Bible tells us, now, some mental health health is, uh, it is caused by physical problems. There are real issues. But a lot of mental health health is just us. We don't want, people say, you know what? I'm not going to accept Christ as my Savior. I'm going to live my life by myself. They're not going to, they aren't willing to start the race that God has for them. Where God says, I've got a purpose for you. 
I can help you. I can give you something so that as you take each step, yes, it's difficult. Yes, there may be good times. There may be bad times. There may be some steps that are harder. There may be hills and mountains to climb. But you know what? You know that at the end that there is a purpose in it. It's time to start the race. Two questions for you this morning. If everyone would stand with me, we'll ask our instrumentalists to come at this time. Two questions for you. Number one. Are you capable of starting the race of the Christian life? What I mean by that is, have you ever ex- accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If not, in just a moment, the ladies are going to play. We're all going to bow our heads. I'm going to make my way to the front here. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. God has so much good in store for you, but he only gives that to his children. If you've never accepted him, you're not one of his children. Second question I have for Those of you who would say, yes, Pastor Taylor, I do know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I don't hope. I don't maybe think so. I'm not relying on something that my mom or my dad or my grandma told me. I know there was a time in my life where I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Then the question I have for you today is how's the race going? As we mentioned, sometimes it's more difficult than other. When I was in high school, was running a, I think it was a quarter mile. And it was a windy day. And when they started, they, they started us on one side of the track and we had to go one rotation around. And they started us going with the wind. And when that starter pistol popped off and we started running, I'm telling you, I felt like I was flying going with that wind. And I hit that first corner and as I came around that second quarter, It was almost like I was on a treadmill, like my legs were pumping, but I wasn't going anywhere. I mean, the the track was not disappearing. I said, what is wrong with me? I thought something was wrong with my body. But then I looked around at the other runners. I know you're not supposed to do that. I looked at them and the same thing was happening to them. That wind was blowing hard. Got done with the race. I was talking to some of my buddies, you know, who were watching. They said, man, we, didn't, we thought you quit running when you came around that corner. I said, man, I was running for all I was worth. I just wasn't going anywhere. And they said, and we saw everybody. We were all laughing at y'all because y'all were running. Christian life is sometimes like that. Things push against us. But your God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's there with you. Run with patience. You're putting the effort and the energy behind it. You're trusting in him for the strength because the strength in and of ourselves will fade. Are you doing that today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, we're so grateful for your goodness to us. Thank you for just these first verse and a half that we looked at this morning in the book of Hebrews. But what an encouragement to know that those of your children, those who have accepted Christ as their personal Savior, you've called us to run the race of life, and then you've told us that you'll give us strength. And tonight we'll look at this idea that that we're not just there, but we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who died on the cross for us. What any Christians this morning who have just run into a spot where they're just struggling? Lord, I ask that they would give that struggle to you today. They would not rely on their strength, but your strength. Maybe someone else is in their Christian life. They are cruising right along. Lord, help them to give the praise and the glory to you for all that you brought to them. And if anyone doesn't know you as their Savior, with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, open their eyes and show them the need that they have 
for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the goodness. Thank you for having a purpose for each one of us. You don't set us aside and say, I don't need you, but every one of us who will give ourselves to you, you will use us in amazing ways for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What song, my brother?